Welcome back to the Rena Lab podcast, a show that explores the science and the people behind the Research and Innovation Network Austria, also known as Rena. Our guest this week is Stefan Turner, a professor of science of complex systems. He was one of the founders of the Complex Systems Research Group, now known as the Section for Science of Complex Systems. In 2001, Stefan shifted his studies and focus from theoretical physics to biological and complex systems, which are now his main areas of scientific work. Let's find out more about what complex systems research is and how Stefan got his start. Today, I'm with Stefan Turner, who is a, one of the um, Austrian, tell me what, what that was, Austrian Scientist of the Year, is that what it yes. is? We were chatting over a beer and getting to know each other and trying to figure out what got you into science to begin with. And I want to I share that with the audience. So take us back to when you were 13 and what was so interesting about science for you. Yeah, when I was 13, I met um, a famous German scientist, one of the scientists who worked on the German atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. was, um, uh, his name is, is Weizsäcker. Okay. And... Um, um, when I told him that I would like to become a philosopher, he told me that uh, that's a good thing to do yeah. because he ha held a chair of philosophy too oh, did you? In, in his later age. Um, but before that, I should know how the world works. And uh, for that, there's only one way of doing that, and that's to study physics. Okay. So, and I remembered that. And I started to study physics. At the age of 13? At 13, you started No, studying. no, no, not at 13. Took a couple of more years in high school. Okay. But by age 17, 18, I, I started studying... Physics. Physics. Yeah. And then got a PhD in particle physics. Okay. And was interested in, in studying um, the strong force, the force that keeps um, the most elementary elementary particles together, the quarks. Mm -hmm. It's a very strange force. Okay. One of the four forces in physics. And um, it was very theoretical work that will maybe never ever be testable experimentally, which got me more and more frustrated with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going down this path and you're like, I'm just getting frustrated. But explain that because we were talking about what was frustrating about well actually what was cool about this quirk and it's that it gets stronger when you pull it apart right yes the 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 force between quarks is very special in the sense that it gets stronger and stronger the further you pull the two things apart so, usually if you if you separate two things to like two magnets force gets weaker right but um in the case of 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 the strong force um the interaction gets stronger as you pull them apart, as if there was a rubber band between those uh -huh. quarks. Um, but in reality, there's no no rubber band. Right. So there must be something else, but there is nothing. It's just vacuum, and um, so vacuum must have a structure. Yeah. And it's a little bit hard to to swallow in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but if you assume a certain structure, mm -hmm. then you can really understand how this force comes out of <laughs> nothing, basically. Wow. And, um, and um, yeah, that was... Interesting. That was 
kind of work. But you got frustrated and decided to change directions, or there's a fork in the road. Can you tell I, us about I, that? I, I didn't. I didn't decide to change directions at all. I was going to. I was publishing in that field and, and going to um, conferences. Yeah. And um, at one particle physics conference, there was a after dinner speech of a of a particle physicist who didn't talk about particles and forces and physics. He was talking about mice and elephants and, and uh, biology. And he was deriving with, with, um, with basic math, things like that a mouse and the elephant and every, every, uh, every mammal hmm. has about a billion heartbeats in its lifetime. Okay. And uh, he could relate the energy consumption of a mouse to the energy consumption of an elephant and to all mammals on the planet. Could show why, um, why there's a very simple function or very simple relation that connects all of these, all of these um, biological beings. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I just thought this was incredibly beautiful work. Yeah, and sounds I, fascinating. It, it is. It still is. So it's, right. it's, it's more than 20 years old now. Yeah. It's one of the masterpieces of uh, complex system science, I would say. And I told, I told the guy after his talk, I told him that I was really... I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. And um, so we started talking a little bit. And after two days, he invited me to, to his place in Los Alamos. Yeah. And for the summer, for a couple of months, to work with him. And um, when summer came, I I couldn't get, I couldn't enter uh, the national lab because someone had stolen a hard disk and foreigners couldn't couldn't um, enter easily. Okay. So he he was newly appointed to the Santa Fe Institute, and he said, "Okay, then let's just get you to the to this institute." And um, that changed my life. Santa Fe Institute is, is a small institution in, in Santa Fe mm -hmm. um, that was founded by, um, by uh, heroes of mine, mm -hmm. including Marie Gelman and um, um, Don Farmer and um, Ken Arrow, okay. an economist. Um, many Nobel Prize winners are there, and um, what I what I've seen there is, for example, Murray Gell-Mann. He won a Nobel Prize for for particle physics, and um, but he wasn't working there on particle physics. He was working on languages, the origin of languages. He was writing a dictionary of a language that that existed maybe 10,000 or 15,000 years ago. Wow. And I uh, was thinking about how did, how did languages spread over the Americas? Yeah. And, um, and I've seen other physicists there who were working on completely unrelated things, not, not on physics, right. but on, on, on real world problems, mm -hmm. but in a physics kind of uh, way. Framework, yeah. Framework and kind of physics thinking. Um, and by physics thinking, I mean, you try to understand it until you really understand it, right. until it works. Yeah. And um, so what I've seen there, what I experienced there is that people were working on problems that really interested them. Yeah. 
And I figured out that that even though I, I loved particle physics and, and the questions I was working on, it were not my questions. It were questions. It was yeah that that some other people found interesting or a whole community found right. fundamentally important. And I just were, was drawn into that and, and started working on it. But it was not my calling, my, yeah. my thing, my calling. Mm -hmm. And um, so I learned that, that one should follow one's own heart. <laughs> heart. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, it was a lucky coincidence that at that time I got tenure. Mm -hmm. And from that year on, I went to this institute every year, still doing that. And uh, it's fantastic. So fantastic. studying complex systems, right? That's the, right. The, the focus is complex systems. Can you explain what um, complex systems are? So many people would would maybe disagree with my definition of what a complex system is, but but um, but they're not here. I'm, we're asking you. So. It's uh, all <laughs> out of this room, so I can say it. Complex system is a system that's. It's all, all complex systems are composed of many parts, yeah. and these parts are not independent of each other. Uh, but they're connected through a network, mm -hmm. a network of interactions, a very general thing. Right. So these parts can be, I don't know, neurons in the brain, or it can be banks in a, in a, in a financial system, or mm -hmm. it can be cells in a body, or it can be companies in the economy, yeah. or people in a society. Um, and they're connected. Through those connections, these elements of that system, they can change. The elements are not static. Banks are not always one size. Uh, one size. Yeah, right. They change every day. That size changes. And the size changes only as, an, as a result of the interactions with the others. Right. Deals being deals made. being made, or credit that's made, or uh, speculations that, that that were made, they determine the wealth of of an institution in the next time step. Right. So you have you have a network that changes the states of the of of the of, of the elements of the complex system, mm -hmm. but that's still not the whole story yet. That's not a complex system yet. If the elements change their states, they will also change the interactions. So if I'm very, if I'm becoming very rich, I might change my friends. Exactly. I will. I'll stick around with, with um, other rich guys. Or right. I don't know. Um, exactly. But stupid example. But um, so if the states change, the interactions change, and if the interactions change, the states change. We get this chicken egg problem. Right. Interactions change elements, elements change interactions, and now you have a complex system. That's the kind of thing that makes a thing complex. It strikes me that some of the, a lot of these complex systems are self-evolving and mm -hmm. not looking at it. So we'll just pick on banking and financial systems for a second. And it's like a lot of times people don't look at making them efficient. It just kind of grows on its own. Right. And so it sounds from what our discussions were, that examining and studying the complex systems allows you to perhaps then impact and have more control and make it more efficient. Right. Because right. they may not be efficient, and often they're not. So typically complex, system, complex systems just evolve, mm -hmm. and they're not designed. Right. 
Um, and very often these systems are also not manageable. And But now the situation is kind of changing mm -hmm. because for the first time we see those interactions. It's what we call big data. Right. And we see not only the interactions, we also see the states, how they change. Right. So um, telephone companies know every cell phone call in the country. Mm -hmm. so that's basically all the interactions that humans do right. uh, with, with their voice. Huh? Right. And, uh, and, and banks know the bank accounts. Exactly. That's the states of people. Right. And, and how do these interactions change the states? We cannot pull all this data together, but uh, we could. Yeah, we cannot do it for 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 privacy reasons, of right, course. And right. uh, but um, we're beginning to to see all those interactions, and we do so more and more. Mm -hmm. We're putting sensors nowadays everywhere. Exactly. More and more sensors. The, the the number of sensors is growing exponentially fast. Yeah. And these sensors produce data, and all what that data is is either about states of of components or mm -hmm. elements, or it's about interactions. Yeah. If you put it together, you have data about complex systems in, in most cases. So for the first time, you can make an experimental science out of complex systems. What we could do in the past 50 years right. was to theorize, to make theorems, to, to, to make... Uh, to write equations algorithms and, and, to, and to make algorithms, yeah. mm -hmm. etc., but we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't put the force on the on the ground. Exactly. So it's and now a we lot can of theory, but now lots we've of theory, got the and data. now we got the data to test it. Right. And we can throw maybe lots of theory overboard and keep some that really works. Right. And it's really, really, really uh, fascinating. Sounds like it'll have a huge impact on being able to make things markets more efficient. Uh, banking more efficient, finance more efficient, and this is one area, right? Right. But it sounds like the not only more efficient, also more stable, right? That are uh, more um, and maybe more efficient and more robust or resilient, resilient at yeah. the same time. Yeah, yeah. We can um, by just now measuring the system in terms of its interactions and states. We can we can invent new measures mm -hmm. like temperature. When when does a system get into a state where it becomes um, unstable, yeah, volatile? Mm -hmm. um, under what conditions is is one shock important for a system, in the sense that it it could tip the system over into collapse? Right. When is the same shock not not relevant at all? Right. So the same shock in a complex system can do very different things, mm -hmm. and but we don't understand now. How that works, yeah. and, but we will know. I, I'm convinced about that. And this is scientifically uncharted land. It's a it's a it's a map that's white. Yeah, and you can still put your flag on it. Yeah, and it's and it's um, and it's not very expensive. It's also very disruptive. Um, one of the things that we see a lot of. Um, Famous founders, entrepreneurs that are disrupting systems, mm -hmm. questioning things, and I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna equate this to um, 
some of the things I've read about Elon Musk and how he looks at the world mm -hmm. and how he looks at, oh, trains haven't changed in a hundred years. Why not? Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's questioning things mm -hmm. to then look, rethink the physics of it and find better solutions sounds very similar. And that's very disruptive. This is very disruptive. And hey, here's the data. Mm -hmm. What can we do with this data to make things more efficient? Right. What what and that and we're picking on banking for a second. But the other thing that an article that I read um, was on that you were in was on health systems, which I think is really fascinating on the network and the complex systems of the healthcare system. Cause you've got for years, you've had studies that colleges and doctors do, but a lot of times to collect that data, it's taking, taking a small sample size right. over years of time and then go back and say, okay, here's what we found. But what I'm hearing you say is now we can collect all this data now mm -hmm. And make decisions much quicker. So right. you want to explain how the complex system of medical science is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, um, um, to think of the healthcare system, or or more generally um, about medicine in terms of networks, you have to kind of distill networks out of data. Yeah. So what is our data? We're in a in a unique situation that we have anonymized healthcare records of about 10 million people in a, in a small country. And it's every, every time a patient sees or interacts with the healthcare system, we get, we get a data line produced that contains um, the diagnosis, the site diagnosis, the prescriptions, the, the, um, and, and the information if a drug was bought, at what price, where, when. If and it's continued to be used or if they switched drugs or right. all so that we data. See, we, yeah. see, we see the same uh, anonymized patient popping up right. in this data for multiple times. And then we, we can extract the health trajectories or also the, 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 the sequence of how and which drugs were bought. Mm -hmm. And from that, we can read off um, what drug works. If, if the drug is bought all the time, it might work. Mm -hmm. If it's changed to another one, it might not have worked or it might have caused side effects that they were um, not liked. If the person buys other drugs to, to, to um, compensate for side effects or something, we see that. Um, and we see if, if dosage is changed. So we see if some, something gets better or worse. So we can follow, we can follow in very high precision um, uh, the changes in 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 the health state of patients. So yeah. what we also see is which patient has um, not only what what disease or what what problem, but we see the combinations of problems that patients have at the same time, and um, that allows you to to extract um, a network of a, of a certain kind. Mm -hmm. And you have to imagine that network where, uh, as a network where the nodes are diseases. Right. And there's a link between those diseases if many people have it as, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you, um, um, if you take all of the diseases, you get a, you get a network, right. looks nice. Right. 
And uh, what the first thing that you observe is that that network um, is not the same for children or uh, youngsters or adults or mm -hmm. um, elderly people. It changes over time. And if you know how that network changes over time, and if you can identify yourself in that network, yeah. if you know you're female, you're 40 years old, and you have this and that and that problem now, you just look at the network, how that looks 10 years later, yeah. and you can predict what you will have given or, your state now, what you will have in the, right. in, in the future with high precision. But you're not waiting 10 years. You're, actually, waiting, lo you're yes. actually looking at the next network, which is 10 years older, yes. the sample size is 10 years older. Yes. So now there's predictability of, hey, if you've got these two things or three things, there's a high probability that this is going to happen. Exactly. So there's that opens up for prevention. Exactly. That's, right? that's, that's, that's the thing we're aiming at. Of course, if you start um, to, to prevent these uh -huh. things, um, our prediction is going to be wrong. Right. But you will be healthier. Exactly. <laughs> we could be wrong, but you'll be healthier. So, so thank us anyway. It, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I found fascinating is you were talking about uh, insulin and its effect on tumors. Right. Yes. So yes. what you were able to, like, in your studies, be able to see very clearly. So we, we took all patients from that sample of 10 million people um, that had that have diabetes and are treated with insulin. Okay. So if you're a heavy diabetic, you're, you're treated with insulin. And um, then we checked for all the, 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 the diseases that people have together with, with diabetes mm -hmm. and are treated with insulin. And we found that it's not our, we, we're not the first to see that, that if you take insulin, you have enhanced probability for creating certain tumors. Right. And um, the thing that we found is, if we if we if we look at people who take insulin and something else, completely can be completely unrelated to Maybe diabetes. Maybe it was treating something else that they had. Exactly, right. like um, statins or something. Mm -hmm. If you take statin in combination with insulin, it's protective. It's it 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 suppresses tumor growth. And um, that's not a small effect. It's not a, a we're not. Um, saying with a um, tiny probability, there's maybe a little effect in that direction. No, it's a it's a it's a massive effect. Yeah. And so, um, by just letting the computer search for all sorts of combinations of drug use, mm -hmm. you can you can discover completely unexpected. Um, um, I don't know combinations of drugs that, that that are good for something, right? That you never thought of. That's so fascinating, and, and it's, uh, it's by the trial and error of what's happened with the data set of the ten million people that right. are doing these these things in their own uh, bodies and minds and their own systems. But then you combine all that data, you right. can extract combinations that are yeah, better for right. you. We're not doing harm to anyone right everything has happened everything is anonymized it's right. we we cannot identify those patients we cannot um sell these data to insurance companies right. and, and 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 that's all impossible the, the cool thing is we, we're taking something without any risk to anyone mm -hmm. and um and provide and do medicine exactly <laughs> that's really cool what other areas of complex systems really fascinate you other than medicine and financial networks? Hmm. Um, 
One thing that's hard to communicate is is um, that I'm interested in the statistics of complex systems. That's math. Mm -hmm. So we we all know that there exists something that's called statistics, and it's, it's this bell-shaped curve of mm -hmm. business. Yeah, and um, and we all kind of know how to deal with that. But if you if you if you look at complex systems, then you don't have bell-shaped shaped curves. You have curves that look very strange. It's called, it's called fat tail distributions. Okay. And it's it just reflects that you have situations with complex systems that you have mm, many, many outliers. Outliers are typical. Mm -hmm. So large deviations from the norm are, are the norm. Right. And that's what makes complex systems so hard to manage, that you have these this large number of outliers. Mm -hmm. And um, the mathematics of this is, is not really yet understood how to manage, how to manage systems that have these many outliers. Yeah. And it's, it's, I know it's hard, it's very abstract, yeah. but it's a very fascinating thing in, in mathematics. What would you, uh, so one of the things that the goal of the podcast and our listeners is just kind of to help people understand the work that's being done, but also, you know, if you're still questioning what you want to do with your life, mm -hmm. perhaps just follow your heart. What would your advice be to, you know, a 13 year old out there that's trying to figure out what they're trying to do? Uh, what would your advice be? So if you want to understand the world, and you have to study <laughs> physics. <laughs> I like that. You're like, I'm just going to copy something that was told to me at 13. <laughs> I think it worked for you. It's it's what I really keep from that conversation with this um, with this famous physicist Weizsäcker is that you that you have to learn something very specific, very very deep. Mm -hmm. Can be very boring. Very, 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 um, um, how do you say, disciplinary. Yeah. And then you can branch out. Right. I think it's bad advice um, to, to say, become as interdisciplinary as uh, it, uh, from the start on. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the right way is to become good in something. Mm -hmm. Really get trained. If it's narrow, okay, you just have to go through that narrow yeah. path, and then branch out. It's fascinating. Never, never, never start from from everything in the beginning. You will be confused. You will not learn any technique. You will not understand how science works. Yeah. Um, science is a very, very particular game, mm -hmm. and if you if you don't learn that from early on. You will never learn it later. It's a very interesting parallel between what you just said and what I hear some of the entrepreneurs that we interview on some of those founders interview. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a life path and you always learn lessons from what you're doing. So, mm -hmm. for example, uh, one of the recent interviews we did is John Paul DeJoria, who started mm -hmm. John Paul Mitchell Products and then Patron and so on and so forth. But prior to starting John Paul Mitchell Products, he was in so two different salons and so it was just kind of this he never knew that he was going to do this mm -hmm. but it took his life path and the failures that happened in his life path 
to get to the next level. And so you're always learning. You're yes. always learning. Yes. And, and yes. so what I'm hearing you say is whatever passion you're doing, go deep, right? And understand it. Because even if you're not going to do it for life, it can transition right. to the next thing, which right. is what's happened right. in your life. And it's now taking you a whole different direction, which sounds like the first direction you were in was wonderful, but you were answering questions somebody else was asking. And now you're having more impact because you're able to answer questions that you have, plus help society at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really appreciate the time that you've had with us on the show. It's been super fascinating yeah, understanding what you. you're doing. You. And I'm going to definitely follow you. Uh, is there a, a, a somewhere where people can follow you, like a, a social media or anything like that, that people can follow your work? Or Yes. There's a, we, have a, we are setting up a new center okay. in Vienna. Complex Systems Science, Complexity Science Hub, Vienna, we call it. It's supposed to be something like a baby sister of the Santa Fe Institute, but in Europe. Yeah. And um, yeah, we show very, very clearly what we're doing there. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely get the links and put them up on our show. So if anybody's interested in following you and your work, which is amazing, uh, they'll be able to follow you and also maybe get inspired to do their own thing. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. I have never thought about data systems and physics as being so interlocked before. Fascinating discussion. Thank you, Stefan, for telling us more about all the work that you're doing. The Reno Lab podcast team includes me, Dan Dillard, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Special thanks to Robin Tim Weiss and the amazing team at the Research and Innovation Network Austria. This was our last episode of the series, so we hope you have enjoyed it. Thank you for listening.